Are we recording? And it was a miserable, miserable day for me. Um, I'll say I'm Faith Doss, you say I'm John Shane. Or like I, I'm Faith Doss, it's all random. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to... No, thanks for joining. I do welcome to. It's wrong. But I, I do it wrong. Okay, so we ready? Go ahead, Scott. Kick this thing off. Thanks for joining another edition of Trail Runner Nation. My name is Scott War. I'm Don Freeman. And we're here today. Scott, where are we today? In a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a kitchen with, uh, with Phil Maffetone. And that how lucky like are a, we? That sounds like a cookbook. <laughs> we are, in fact, best. Part of the topic today is, in fact, uh, nutrition. It is. Which is an, an important ingredient to being a successful endurance athlete. If this is the first time you've heard the name Phil Maffetone, Go back onto our website at trailrunnernation.com and put in the search engine, Phil Maffetone, and go listen to the first podcast so that you will be blown away. And then this second podcast will make more sense to you. You know, I, th- I think that the message from Phil is spot on for, for what we do. You know, we, t- we talked about uh, heart rate, monitoring your heart rate and, and staying within a zone. And for many of us, we thought the zone was quite high. We thought zone was where we could exist without passing out. But we found later that then through research and, and through a lot of Phil's research that, in fact, if you stay within the appropriate zone where you can speak e- easily and stay uh, below, for, for me at least, uh, below 130 beats per minute, which is quite comfortable, that I can learn to become efficient. My body becomes efficient. And the reason it's perfect for us is we spend a lot of time on the trail. There are a lot of runs that are an hour long, two hours long, races that are five, six, 20 hours long. And when you have to exist that long out there, in on the trail with your heart working and your body moving you forward you need to be in a zone that's comfortable um so phil thank you for joining us thank you scott and don it's great to it's great to be here again and it's great to meet you in person which is always a a, a lot more fun it is um the last podcast we kind of centered around um the big book of endurance training and racing which is the big yellow book and today we're going to fast forward to his latest book, which is a big red book called The Big Book of Health and Fitness, although it has a yellow spine. So if you're in Barnes & Noble trying to find this and you just see a yellow spine, don't let that fool you. <laughs> um, but this one is more centered around, Phil, help us out here. It's more centered around healthy nutrition and overall fitness versus endurance training and racing, correct? And, and health. It's really the foundation of training. And in, in the big book of training, uh, the big book of uh, endurance training and racing, I do talk about diet and nutrition and uh, lifestyle factors like stress and, um, and other things. But the big book of health and fitness is strictly about um, how to really solidify your dietary uh, nutritional uh, the stress factors in your life, how to how to get extremely healthy. And if you're getting very fit and you're not healthy, then your fitness um, progression is going to plateau at some Stagnate. point. Is it possible, Phil, to be in a cardiovascular fitness, a high level of fitness, but not a healthy person? Oh, sure. Happens all the time. And unfortunately, we read about it all the time. Uh, every time there's a big race, it seems... Uh, um, a marathoner dropping dead halfway through a race, a triathlete uh, dying in the water um, soon after the start of a race, um, uh, well-known runners or great marathoners who, who have heart attacks. If you have a heart attack, you're not healthy. <laughs> so you could be fit. You could, you could be America's top marathoner um, and die of a, of a heart attack um, like, and I, I want to say Ryan Hall, and I hope I'm not... M- getting the name wrong no R- R- ryan's a, a alive and well yeah, yeah. okay um, i'm sorry no. ryan <laughs> <laughs> um it, jim fix from back in the jim day fix, that was way the name. back when yes yeah. jim uh, was a uh, was and i wrote a lot about jim because i knew i knew jim and um i wrote uh i i, I had just uh, recently uh run the 1980 new york city marathon and uh, I was I was doing that race to kind of prove to myself that I was healthier, and I ended up uh, crashing at 18 miles, and um, really struggling to to get to the finish line, which I I was able to do, and and I got to the finish line, and they carried me away to the medical tent, 
and I saw all these runners who were the medical tent runners um, and all these doctors and nurses running around the medical tent and I realized that I hadn't gotten healthy all I had done was get fit enough to run 26 miles which is really mm. pretty easy and the hard part and and for many for many athletes the the very difficult task is getting healthy so from what you just said I'm gonna jump to a conclusion that if our listeners have not read either the big yellow book or the big red book they should start with the red book first the red book is the foundation you, okay. you want to get yourself healthy and there is a, a little bit in the red book about um, heart rate monitoring the 180 formula is in there um, there's a little bit about um, training but it's not really a, a training book okay well let's I, I want to get into the 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 guts of this thing um, talk to us about carbohydrates the one thing that um, you know I think the general populace you know they've heard of Atkins diet and the low carb diet and all that sort of stuff you describe in the book that that there are good carbs and bad carbs can you elaborate on that a little bit sure the good carbs are the natural carbohydrates that we we find in fruits and vegetables for the most part um, honey is a is an, a natural carbohydrate that can be a good carbohydrate of course you can overdo anything and people often find ways of, of overdoing <laughs> um, things but um, natural carbohydrates um, are generally healthy there are some people who are so unhealthy and their body has made unhealthy changes that are somewhat permanent um, like a diabetic or a pre-diabetic or someone who's carbohydrate intolerant which which really could be 75 percent of the population if we start looking at well let's look at the overfat people how many overfat people are there and it's about 75 percent of the population and so we could say they've made changes in their in their body um, that are unhealthy and they they would have to limit some of the natural carbohydrates like like fruits but the unhealthy carbohydrates is virtually everything else which is the food most people are eating so all of your processed flour all of your sugars um, they are in everything they're in junk food they're in um, a lot of the foods that you you can find in a health food store but they're not healthy um, and it's the food people uh, eat every day and all day and the reason why they're over fat so let's talk let's talk a little bit about um, we go into REI which is my favorite store by the way because they've got everything there that's just looks like fun and vacation store. it is my toy store yeah. <laughs> you've seen those Home Depot is my toy store Home Depot is my prison I don't even want to go there that means work <laughs> work I want to go to REI <laughs> and I go to the nutrition section and I see all of the goos and I see the gels and the blocks and the etc and you've been through there and looked at the the uh, um, shelves how much of that, what percentage do you think is, is valuable for me, and what do you think I should take a close look at where it's really just a modified candy bar? Well, for, for you in your life, not during a race, um, all of it's junk and you should stay away from it. Okay. Wow. During but, a race? Yeah. I, yeah, that yeah, was I my see, question. When do I get to eat this? That was my question. So I, during I, a race, there is a, a place for it? Scott, well, I have found my reason to run because... <laughs> I can eat the junk if I'm on the trail. So go ahead. You know, that comes back to what you told me at, at Western States. As well, long as I'm eating. Oh, no, that's a, that, never mind. That's a different <laughs> thing. You can edit that out. Yeah, it comes down to insulin. And yeah. So when you're not running and you eat carbohydrates, you produce insulin. And the more refined, generally speaking, the more refined the carbohydrate, the more junky the food, mm -hmm. the more insulin you make. What insulin does is it shuts down your fat burning. Uh, it causes um, the body to take... Uh, uh, 40 to 50 percent of those exotic candy bars even the low-fat ones even the no-fat ones and store uh, that carb convert that carbohydrate to fat and have it go into storage so that's not what people really want to do and and um, it, it's what the food has made you do in addition to making you addicted okay you said something that I've never heard before or at least I maybe I've heard it and I just didn't comprehend it you said when the ins when insulin is produced, fat burning stops. Yeah, when when insulin goes up, insulin does um, th a number. Insulin is a very important hormone. We need insulin, otherwise we die. Mm -hmm. And in diabetes, what happens is the pancreas burns out because it's been overproducing insulin for so many years. It burns out. Now the person is a is clearly diabetic, and they need to take insulin from outside sources. But until that happens, you make too much insulin. 
um, for the amount of carbohydrate you eat. And what insulin does, it does a bunch of things, but three very important things that it does is it replenishes your glycogen stores. Mm -hmm. So if you have um, 100 grams of carbohydrate uh, and you produce insulin, then maybe 10 grams of carbohydrate will um, go toward um, replenishing your glycogen stores if you need to do any of that. Um, about half of the carbohydrate that you eat, so about 50 uh, grams, goes toward uh, immediate energy. So it, it raises your blood sugar um, and your, um, your, your body uses that as, a, as an energy source. And as you use it up, um, insulin, insulin takes that carbohydrate, that glucose, and brings it into the cells. And then the other 50% of the um, uh, carbohydrate, 50 grams, is converted, thanks to insulin, to fat and stored. For later. For whenever you want it. But if you're, <laughs> if you're continually eating carbohydrates and yeah, it's making a lot of insulin, then for never. the fat burning is, is, is reduced uh, significantly, and you, so you never burn that. So what we see, and, and I'm, you know, last year, um, last summer, uh, was the first um, athletic race I was at. I'm working with a, um, a, a woman, uh, a Canadian triathlete, Angela Neth, and, and um, I finally got to one of her races. And I hadn't been to a race since Mark Allen's last race, mm -hmm. whenever that was, um, many, many years ago. And I was, um, I, and I'm not being judgmental, I, I was shocked at the, the number of competing athletes who were significantly over fat. Hmm. And a big problem in the running community, I know, because I get all these letters and I get letters from editors who say um, there's a big problem with runners because their body fat content keeps rising and how can we address this um, uh, with, with uh, you know, how can we do that carefully without offending people? Because fat is an offensive word for some people. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I know why, but um, <laughs> it shouldn't be. And if we keep running away from it, it's going to keep being a problem. But it's a problem. So it's not about how many miles you run a week and how many calories you burn. It's about how many calories of fat you burn and how many calories of fat you don't burn. You, you, you've said a few times over fat instead of overweight. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I, I, I coined this word over fat many years ago because um, the, the authorities, the people who um, are kind of in charge of coming up with words, you know, obesity, and then they define obesity. Um, well, like it often happens um, in healthcare, they kept changing the, the, the definition. You know, here's the line for obesity. Okay, so if I'm a few grams below that, I'm not obese, so I'm okay. Um, and then they didn't really have a good word for over fat for, or for people who had a lot of body fat, but they weren't obese and maybe they weren't overweight. But the, the, the over fat word just, just takes all of those problems into one category. You're over fat. If you're classified as obese or not, you're still over fat. If you're, if you're running 120 miles a week and you have too much body fat, you're over fat. And, and probably prone to injury. You're prone to injury uh, for a variety of reasons. One is because you're probably heavier, although fat doesn't weigh much, but you're probably heavier and your gait is probably altered. When your gait is altered because your body fat is high, you don't land on your feet right, your joints are, more, are under more stress, but there's a metabolic factor involved too. When you're over fat, your body metabolism is not healthy, it's not normal. Your hormones are out of balance, a variety of things are not right, and when the body, um, uh, metabolism is not right, it has an effect on body mechanics. I want, I want to stick around this topic for a second about how we train ourselves to become sugar dependent. That we maybe have lack of sleep and then we eat sugar to try to get a spike in energy and it's kind of an ongoing cycle. And even out on the trail where we teach ourselves and learn to recruit this this sugar content through goos or blocks or whatever just to keep us moving out there. When in fact there's, there's a, a solution, perhaps our own body fat, that we can use as fuel because that's what it was intended for, right? Besides exactly. just making it yeah. easy to sit down and maybe keep us a little bit warmer you know, <laughs> during, during the wintertime. Winter. It's also there for real energy for movement, that food wasn't always available at any given time. And in fact, that's what this, this fat was for, right? Because mm -hmm. it wasn't always yeah. convenient. We didn't walk around in the olden days with uh, goo packs. 
and aid stations. <laughs> really? So we yeah we had our own <laughs> we had our own aid station, Scott. We we just carried it. And Paleolithic so, glue. How do say that again? Or Paleolithic glue. Oh, there we I'm go. sorry, Paleolith goo. Paleolithic goo. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a song. Got, where's my? If you yeah, need, Phil's <laughs> yeah, a musician too. He's just just not uh, a uh, um, a thought leader in this area. So, um, how do we then? Because uh, I'm afraid that that I may be a sugar dependent body when I'm out there. I'm I have trained myself over the years to carry a pack. When I have enough fat on me, I don't need a pack, but my pack is full of this this gel and stuff. So how do I observe myself to know, one, am I that guy? And two, how can I slowly change from that guy to somebody else? Yeah, um, th there's a lot of ways of answering that question. One way is that if you have to rely on goo or some other carbohydrate source to get you through um, a, a two-hour run, um, maybe a three-hour run even, then uh, it means you're probably not burning enough fat mm -hmm. to get, because you should be burning a lot of fat on those long, easy runs. Mm -hmm. That's a significant uh, source of energy for the human body. We, we burn where, both sugar and fat. But that, that's where it comes into, you need to ha be running at a slower rate so that you are burning more fat than, than sugar. Well, right? you need to be burning, uh, you need to be running at the proper rate so that you're you're training your body to burn more fat. And, and what happens is you don't train your body to burn fat during the run. You, you do that, but you're, you're also training your body to burn fat for the next 24 hours, even when you're sleeping. So if you're not a good fat burner, um, you're not burning fat on your run, you're not burning fat during the day, you're not burning fat when you're sleeping like you should. So just look at, look at the human body as having these two fuels, we use other things that we don't want to get into now, but carbohydrates, which would be glucose and fat. And we should have a, a, a high amount of fat burning at rest and when we're doing aerobic training. And well, let me ask you this. If you are being efficient in your training to burn fat, does that automatically roll over into the 24 hours after training that you're burning fat it, it does okay. but the, the the issue is uh, and, and the question I thought you were gonna ask me mm -hmm. is does diet influence that diet will supersede your training in most cases for most people so if you're doing everything just right in your training if you're if you're following the 180 formula and you're using a heart monitor and you're very disciplined um, you're warming up and cooling down doing all that stuff and then you go home and have pasta for dinner and cereal for breakfast and a bagel uh, with a low-fat cream cheese for lunch. You're you're wasting your time. You're not going to get anywhere in in training. So, what should I be eating? This is this is Scott's favorite subject. Can you tell? <laughs> well, it's because I'm over fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> well, let's you, fix you. you. You were saying, how do I know if I'm that guy? Yeah. Look at me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> uh, first of all, you um, you you have to you have to get it into your brain that uh, companies that sell refined carbohydrate products, which are almost all the products in the grocery store, um, want you to think that sugar is healthy. It gives you energy, and it it's low fat, so it's good for your mm -hmm. heart and all. And it's all a lie, and, and everybody knows that. Everybody scientifically um, knows that. Everybody who is educated uh, enough in nutrition knows that. But the, the, um, the, the ongoing um, hitting us over the head um, uh, advertising, which has been going on since, you know, before we were born, and we we're talking about the early part of the 19th century, um, they they just you know sugar was the big thing and they found all these ways of doing it they even got the government involved to recommend sugar it's on the food pyramid or what <laughs> used to be the food pyramid I don't know what they're doing now but um, so we need to we need to overcome that problem and say I'm not gonna eat fake food I'm not gonna eat refined carbohydrates anymore you get rid of them and as soon as you get rid of them um, and you eat meals that are without those refined carbohydrates. It just takes two meals, and you you shift your body into a high fat burning state um, very quickly. Within two meals. Two meals. There's wow. a two meal effect because of insulin. When you eat a meal, yeah. the amount of insulin you make is based on the meal you eat plus the previous meal. Your brain remembers that, and so it's an interesting thing. But um, it just takes two meals, and then you you quickly can go into fat burning. 
Do you cover some of this in your in your book, this uh, is, the Big Book of Health and Fitness? Yeah, this is uh, this is extensively discussed in the book, and it's sort of a theme throughout the book. So, um, I talk about that early in the in the book, and then when I when I talk about um, uh, running or walking or exercise, uh, I talk about burning fat, and then I I refer back to that issue because it it it's all connected. When I talk about stress. Um, I, I bring up the carbohydrate insulin issue, fat burning issue again, because stress will uh, kind of do what insulin does. It'll, is, is it will impair our fat burning if there's too much of it. You've trained a lot of athletes and a lot of, a lot of uh, very successful athletes. Have you trained someone in only modified diet only and said, you know what, you're on point with a lot of your training, but let's modify your diet and redirect it. What kind of changes have you seen just with diet change only? Yeah, I have seen um, I have seen dramatic changes with diet um, recommendations only, and and it's because it's such a powerful component. Um, sometimes, you know, when I'm traveling around um, um, lecturing, for example, and you know, someone comes up to me afterwards and said, this, and and I'm thinking of an actual event that took place um, last um, last month or so. Um, I had lectured about some of this kind of stuff, and this um, gentleman came up to me who was a, a doctor from somewhere, and he said, "I've got all these injuries, and then uh, I've been I've been increasing my body fat for the last ten years, and I've been really really tired, and I'm having to drink more caffeine. I'm on and on and on, and so I asked him about his training, and his training sounded really pretty good. Mm -hmm. I said, "Do one thing." You know, sometimes you overwhelm people. Just listening to this podcast might be overwhelming. <laughs> but sometimes you, if you can just say, you know, do this one thing, and that's what I did with him. I said, do this one thing. Just avoid refined carbohydrates. That's all. If we did that one thing, how long would we, how long do you, would you recommend never to go back to refined carbohydrates? But if we stopped, when could we expect to see some type of positive benefit? What's what's the risk reward here? The risk is losing our carbohydrate, but... Uh, What's it very time? very uh, quickly, and 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 I can't give you an exact um, time frame because sure. everybody's a little different. But yeah. very quickly, I, in the book, there's something called the two week test, mm -hmm. and I have a two week period where I suggest that people go cold turkey for two weeks because I know that in within the two week period, um, they often will become a different person. But it can happen after two days and three days. I've seen I've seen people turn around from a health standpoint, eliminates signs and symptoms that they were going from doctor to doctor to try and get treated, taking various medic. I mean, just amazing some of the things I've seen because of carbohydrates. And and it's just not performing better out there on the trail or, or the bike or whatever sport you're into. There's also long-term health consequences, chronic illnesses that are tied in with these. Exactly. And we're talking about virtually all the chronic illnesses. So heart disease, mm -hmm. cancer, Alzheimer's, um, many of the so-called aging-related diseases, macular degeneration, mm -hmm. anything related to chronic inflammation, because that's the intermediate um, step. You go, you go from this blood sugar disorder, and you become um, chronically inflamed. So whether it's arthritis or um, uh, muscle imbalance, you know, the typical injury in a runner uh, is due to muscle imbalance, and there may not be disease there. But there's an imbalance in the, the contractibility of the muscles, and it's a brain muscle problem. So some muscles are contracting too much, but some are contracting too little. That kind of imbalance can come from carbohydrates, and it can be corrected. You know, the, wh when we cut our finger, we don't have to run to the doctor. We don't go to the emergency <laughs> room because mm -hmm. um, we've got our cut finger. We just, you know, we put the finger in our mouth and we um, uh, lick off the blood, and and it heals up. Um, we don't we don't have to think about it. We don't have to know the physiology of it. Um, most things are that way. We have a knee problem. The body should fix it. We have uh, a shoulder problem. We have fatigue. We have um, a plateauing in our performance. The body should fix that. And so if the body can't fix it, then we get stuck in that mode. And we're stuck with this chronic knee problem. We plateau. We can't run any faster. And the, the biggest problem associated with that, the, the most common cause is the carbohydrate problem. Hmm. We know that uh, diabetes affects the peripheral nervous system, right? So I, I would think that what you're talking about, this muscle imbalance, could tie right into that. If Before we see the end stage of 
um, a peripheral nerve problem, there's going to be some dysfunction along the way too. So exactly, and that's the gray area. And a lot of a lot of people are not used to seeing the gray area, uh, conceptualizing what this gray area is. There are there are problems that occur before you get a heart attack. There are many problems that occur before you get cancer. There are many signs and symptoms. There are many clues. And in the book, I have uh, list after list of um, clues, signs and symptoms that people really have. So what, what are the signs and symptoms of chronic inflammation? What are the signs and symptoms of carbohydrate intolerance where you can't eat carbohydrates without mm -hmm. it hurting you? Um, and the book is full of those lists. And so as you go through the book, you read these and then you say, oh, that's me. Mm. And that, that then enables you to stop and focus on that particular topic even more. You, athletes are, are great because uh, <laughs> there's good and bad to the athlete when you're working with them. One, they want things to happen immediately. They want to be. They want to recover from an injury in about two and a half hours, you know, from the time they've been diagnosed, and, and expect that, and they really want that, and figure if they try hard enough, it'll happen. But it takes time to recover, and that's part of the equation. There, the, let me just yeah interrupt Please. for a second. The, yeah, yeah. The, that's an important point because um, early in practice, um, I, I I had to get the attention of of athletes uh, when I saw Mark Allen for the first time. Um, I had already learned this, and it was 1983, and I thought, um, you know, I, I need to, you know, this guy has some potential, I think. Um, <laughs> I, you think? <laughs> and, he had, and he had this um, this calf problem, and, I, you know, his biggest concern was that he had this calf problem, and he had a race the following weekend, and um, he wasn't going to be doing the race because he had this calf, calf problem. And I said, well, let me take a look. And I evaluated, and he had some simple muscle imbalance, and I corrected it, and he was fine. He did the race. He actually won the race. It was a little a little triathlon. Back then, they were all little triathlons. Um, but it got his attention. And then... How, how did you fix it? Uh, I, I evaluated the muscles. I found a, a muscle imbalance. There, were some, um, there was a small um, calf muscle under the big uh, muscles, the, post, the posterior tibialis muscle, that was weak. Um, and I did some biofeedback and was able to get it working again. Simple thing. Those are simple things. But I said, there's a big picture here. We could treat your injury uh, and then wait for that injury to come back or wait for another one to come back and then fix that. But that's not, that's not what I'm all about. I don't think that's what you should be all about. This is all related to performance and you making progress. Because if you keep getting these, you, caught, you sort of hit a plateau. So I got his attention, and then he said, what else can I do? I said, well, um, let's talk about fat burning. <laughs> and that, that led to the, the dietary aspects and the heart monitor stuff and all that. Did, did his body composition change much when you started working with fat burning? Did he look like a different athlete? He did. Um, uh, he looked like he was bulking up more. And now mm. I'll, I'll tell you, what one person who um, got that, uh, comment and question, are you lifting a lot of weights, was when I started working with Stu Middleman. Um, Stu, Stu was fairly lean, and uh, we did the same thing. He had, a, he had an injury, and, and I was able to correct it, and really by the next day, he was fine. Um, but I said, you know, you're doing these long distance stuff, this, these long races, and you need to burn a lot of fat, and so we're going to really have you build a big, huge base. Um, and have you burn as much fat as you can burn. And within within a few months, he looked like he was bulked up because hmm. he lost a lot of body fat from his surface areas and his muscles were more exposed now. Mm -hmm. So it looked like he was bulking up, which he wasn't. And a lot of people asked him that and asked me that. Yeah. Do you have Stu on a big weight program? <laughs> no, no, he just burned off some body fat. Before you get to your point, Scott, that you because we competed for questions, I'm going to finish up on the good and bad of the athlete. And, and the, 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 uh, the bad was that athletes want to respond quickly and all of a sudden go from diagnosis to a great training run the, the next day. Um, now, the good part, I think, about athletes is that we learn to listen to our bodies. Unlike many, many other just general population, athletes are tuned in to what the foot feels like, what the ankle feels like, what's my knee doing, what's the thigh doing. We really learn to listen to our bodies very well. And that same listening to the musculoskeletal system could be then, um, I don't want to say converted, but 
but uh, identified with our our visceral system, our organs. How does the stomach feel? How do, you know, we we learn to listen what's happening below our below our necks, which I think is is the, a very good tool. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if you use the tools that are in the book and and become aware of some of the signs, we're we've trained ourselves to listen. We just need to know what to listen to. So I think that could be a good a good uh, exercise for all of us. Yeah. You know, I was just going to move on to uh, talk about proteins and fats. You're done with carbohydrates, Scott? Oh, I'm not done by any means, <laughs> but I think the, the I think the audience is pretty done. Okay, I mean, but you're not going to eat anymore. I'm I I think I'm going to go on a two week fast. Is what I'm going to do. <laughs> we, we, we we talked to Doctor Phil uh, to Noakes to Doctor Noakes, and we can't drink water anymore. And yeah. Now we can't drink carbohydrates. There's not much left. <laughs> Actually, we're going to learn about water here in a minute. Okay, good. Too. Good. But uh, let, let's get into. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you want to go? Fats or proteins? I love fats. Okay. You know, fats are fat. what gives food flavor. Fats are are the deliciousness of meals. It, it comes from fats. And when so when you have a low fat food item, um, you lose all the taste. And when you lose all the taste, if you're a manufacturer, you got to say, okay, what am I going to put back in? Sugar. Sugar. I, I was. I, I remember the the point. Um, uh, in time, that in the mid mid eighties, I think, I was walking through the Chicago airport, and there was a big sign. It said, "We have low, f- we have no fat cream cheese," <laughs> and I'm thinking, "No fat cream," <laughs> and it just didn't, it didn't <laughs> yeah. work. And that's what manufacturers have done. They've they've done the most absurd things, and the public buys it, and. You know, so the person who buys that no fat cream cheese will store more fat than if they ate real cream cheese. So people, I think the general public and and even beyond, equate on a nutrition label fat to becoming fat. Exactly. That's been and that's that's erroneous. been what the, what the public's been fed for for years and years and years. And it's the calorie theory. It's the calories in, calories out theory of of weight loss, and it doesn't work. Because if you just look at calories in, calories and out, you don't consider the metabolism of the body. So fats, fats have twice as many calories as carbohydrates and proteins put so together. We, I think most of us know some of the good fats like uh, um, avocados is a good fat. Nuts have good fat. What are some other ones to... Um, olive oil is a great fat. Uh, butter is a great fat. Coconut you know, oil is a is a superb fat. You know, I was I, I just want to comment on the butter thing. We were just talking, um, my wife and I, to our kids, and how when we were kids, butter was like bad, and so we ate all this margarine as kids. You mm-hmm. remember oh, margarine yeah. like crazy? And now we're finding out that that was the worst thing we could have possibly done. And so why are we finding out now when in the late 1950s? They were writing about this scientifically, the da- the dangers of margarine, <laughs> and that it's not the kind of thing you want to give to a heart patient, or it's not the kind of thing you want to give to anybody. But the the manufacturer, the companies that made these products, took over. They convinced the government that this is the way to go, and you know now they have the little heart on it, and <laughs> that makes it healthy. Not, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. got two hearts. <laughs> It was printed on the label. <laughs> yeah. So the butter, the butter, um, you know, the butter, the coconut. Um, milk fats? Um, well, milk fats are generally good. That's what butter is. It's the milk fat. Right. And if you take the milk fat and, and skim off the proteins, the whey's, that's called drawn butter or ghee. Ghee is the purified butter, which doesn't have anything in it but the pure fat. And that's generally healthier. So if you're if you're allergic to dairy, if you're sensitive to dairy... You might want to only have ghee, and most people can can handle that. Hmm. Okay. And I think fats also um, make us feel full and satisfied. Right? Oh yeah, the worst thing in the world, if, you know, is to is to have a lot of carbohydrates and low fat, and you might feel full for several seconds, but then <laughs> you're gonna, you know, bang, you're gonna be hungry again. That's how long quickly. it takes me to get my fork down to my plate again. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't solve my problem. <laughs> And then just expanding our stomach, right? Continuously stretching that stomach so that we can accommodate this need for more calories or more. Yeah. You and, know. and one of the one of the classic uh, signs and symptoms of uh, carbohydrate intolerance, the 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 inability to handle the carbohydrates, um, is a bloating uh, feeling, uh, gas, lots of gas. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we consume these carbohydrates, and they they cause 
a lot of gas production, that means you shouldn't eat them. Hmm. I like pasta, though. (laughs) 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 But okay, I'll do better. I'll do better. Let's get to proteins. You know, that's been a, you know, for, for years Wait, and years. Hold on, I'm not done with fat yet. Scott. Oh, okay, sorry. What about what about fat on a on a trail run or an endurance event? Would you say that there's a, a place to ingest fat out there? Would be a good substitute for a energy production? Of, you know, there, pr- there is, yeah. yeah. Um, and now we're getting to, to a, a, an area where we have to mention this individual component. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's a, l- a little different. So... What will you work on? What, what what will help you the most in a long Western states, or um, you know, beyond a marathon, or maybe even beyond a fifty k, or um, what kind of food? And it all comes down to trial and error. Mm-hmm. Try things out and see what see what doesn't upset your stomach. See what gives you the energy because we do um, we can use carbohydrates for. Um, uh, during the run to maintain fat burning. Um, but protein can be helpful too, and fat can be helpful as well. Um, I don't race anymore, but if I was doing Western States, I would probably, um, I'd, I would probably make uh, a product called Phil's Bars, and in that red mm-hmm. book, there's a whole uh, bunch of recipes. One of them is the Phil's Bar recipe. It's an energy bar. It's made from almonds and honey and um, coconut and um, very, very healthy stuff. Mm. Uh, I use Phil's bars when I travel. I make as many as I can. The problem is uh, they they sometimes look like C4. So when you go through, <laughs> you go through security and they, you know, they want to poke their finger in it. And, um, but it's a it's a whole meal. You can make them high, higher or lower calorie by making them larger or smaller. And I would use those on the trail They're It's all ground up. So you don't have to uh, you really don't even have to chew it. Um, and you'll get the nutrient out of it very quickly. It has carbohydrate, fat, and protein. I remember, and, and correct me and, and, and straighten me out here, that I understood that we needed some carbohydrate to bring the fat out. Maybe that was propaganda. I don't know. But oh, Sonny's talked about that. Where a little bit of carbohydrate mm-hmm. in was re- required to, like the, uh, the kindling for the fire, right? Yes, you needed exactly. a little bit. Mm-hmm. You just can't rely... Yep. On exactly, but that doesn't mean we should go out for a run and after an hour we're dying for some carbohydrate. What that means is we're not burning our own body fat. Mm. So that's the first thing you have to do. You have to get your body burning fat for energy first. Now you can go two hours, three hours without anything, mm-hmm. but water, maybe water if, if you need it. Um, and then beyond that, now you can start trickling in some, some carbohydrates. But the um, amino acids that are part of part of proteins can be converted to glucose. So we have a potential source of glucose there. Um, many people, if they eat too much protein, um, can produce too much insulin from that, and it's because you're, you're converting some of those amino acids to glucose. So we can get some of that um, uh, glucose on the trail from a fat source as well. Do you recommend having a meal before a run or at some point, or just empty stomach, roll out of bed, Put on the ho- hokas and, and go. Hocus. Yeah, it, it, it de- uh, hokas. Well, we can hit the hokas. Used hokas. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, we got a pair in the truck. We'll, okay. we'll go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there again, you have an individual kind of thing. Um, early um, in my distance running uh, life, um, I would uh, I would not eat before a run or a race, and then. Probably when I when I hit my mid to late 30s, for some reason I just felt better having uh, a meal two hours before uh, before the run. But it was a low, it was a low or no carbohydrate meal, um, and so it, it it depends on the person. But you know when I not just me, but when anybody um, measure you can measure fat burning and sugar burning very very simply. Tell us, yeah, um, and why nobody why most runners don't relate to this, I don't know. But if you do a VO2 max test, they're gathering the data that will also tell you how much fat and sugar you're burning at different heart rates. Yep. But VO2 max is, is such a, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an obsession, which has very little to no meaning, but it's an obsession. Everybody wants to know their VO2 max number, um, even though it doesn't mean anything. But at the same time, the fat burning, sugar burning, 
relationships were found, the percentage. So you can look at that data and say, oh, at 120 heart rate, I'm burning 70% fat and 30% sugar and you know whatever. Um, when I would do those tests, when other people do those tests, um, if they don't ask you what you had for your previous meal, it's a it's a it's a terrible uh, thing because you your your metabolism could be misguided. So if you have pancakes for breakfast or cereal um, or a bagel uh, or some refined carbohydrate, uh, and you go onto the treadmill, you do this test, your fat burning is going to be way down. Your sugar burning is going to be way up. And that should tell people hmm. the story. And if you say, okay, well, we're going to do this test again tomorrow or next week or whatever, but I want you to have eggs uh, cooked in butter with some, uh, you know, some vegetables, and um, and then that's your pre-test meal. Now they come in having not had the refined carbohydrate. Now their fat burning is it's way way up here, and their sugar burning is way down here, and that's the way they should be, mm -hmm. and that'll give them more endurance. Good. I, I think I've wrapped my fat Proteins. up. Proteins. Let's, protein. Proteins. Let's do it. Oh, boy. We need it. You know, I mean, the, 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 the negative slant on protein has been uh, on and off for many, many years. And um, the weightlifters have um, sort of helped bring to light the fact that we need protein, except they've gone to the extreme uh, with massive amounts of protein. We need the amount of protein we need. And it's up to you as an individual to figure that out. Um, and uh, the the only important thing I'll say in addition about protein is that uh, the best sources are animal sources. This notion that we can get um, high quality protein sources from veg vegetables and grains and mm. um, soy and all that stuff it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So I'll ask the follow-up question of that. You know, there's, I think, recently even there's a, a big push and a big fad to go vegan, you would probably is that laugh a fat that off. Now? Huh? Is that a fad now? <laughs> I think it's been going on for a while. I've well, seen that come and go I, for I, I, know, I, I 40 think there, years. I think there's more ultra runners that are doing vegan now. Well, yes. And and I ran into a freegan. Do you know what a freegan is? A freegan vegan? No. <laughs> it, it's someone that prefers to be vegetarian, but will eat anything free. <laughs> he was a college student. Oh. I appreciated that. Well, I'm a I'm a meat eating vegetarian. <laughs> oh, yeah. So well, there's all different types. You just have to you have to um, you know you have to know what type you are. So so let me ask you this. I mean, many of us grew up grew up with this crazy food pyramid where two thirds of our diet should be processed carbohydrates. Um, when you what would you advocate sitting down for a meal? What portion should be good carbohydrates, what portion should be good fats, and what portion should be proteins? Well, it should all be good carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And I, I should mention At that. At what proportion? Yeah. Um, it, it depends on the person, but the majority should be plant foods. Okay. So vegetables, primarily vegetables, then fruits. Um, and are there bad fruits? I've heard there's bad fruits. Well, there's bad fruits because... Um, um, Agricultural scientists have made them bad. We have okay. pineapples now, uh, most pineapples, bananas, uh, watermelon, very high glycemic. So when we mm. eat these seemingly natural fruits, we produce a lot of insulin, more than uh, we would have if we were eating the natural pre-agriculture okay. fruits. Um, dried fruits, um, many people just can't eat dried fruits. Just too much sugar and too much insulin is, is produced by it. And some of them are coated in sugar. Oh yeah, some of the oh, dried sure. fruits. You're not. We're not doing ourselves any favor by, you know, sucking on the the coated uh, dried pineapple. That's, oh yeah, I've it's, dried my own pineapple. I go, where is this nice l lightly coated sugar on the outside of my pineapple? It's not here. <laughs> yep. yep, bananas. Yeah, uh, that you know they they I've seen dried bananas with sugar. Mm. Added. Everything has sugar added because it's it sells. It's all about moving the dollar. Yep. Dr. Mafetone, that's that's what corporate America is driving. It it is, and they're and they're succeeding, and they're succeeding, and the result is chronic disease, a, a population that's seventy five percent over fat, and we're not just talking about Americans. Mm. Everybody wants to be like Americans. So you go to Japan, you go to China, you go to Europe. You're seeing the, these massive numbers of overweight people, and it's very very sad. Not only that, 
in one generation, um, the third world countries that we were um, collecting money to because they were starving to death. In one generation, they've gone from starvation to an overfat to an obesity epidemic. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a an incredible feat, and it's it's all because of the the sugar and the white flour that they've been getting for for decades. So the, so our grandparents that were on the farm that had a pound of bacon and a mm -hmm. big slab of butter and and uh, had their grain fed beef that that were out in the field or harvested their wheat and ground their own wheat they were they were eating much much better than we are now they they most definitely were mm -hmm. uh, grass-fed not grain-fed and 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 many thank you and many many of the uh, uh, conditions that we see today the diagnosis the things the chronic illnesses were just one not present or or not diagnosed because they mm -hmm. didn't understand them what, I mean what would you yeah they were they were consuming foods that it depends on how far back you want to go uh -huh. and it depends on where these these um, grandparents were mm -hmm. in the cities you had a lot of bad food compared to the country in the country people worked a whole lot more physically and they ate a lot of the the food that they worked to grow or raise so um, but that's that's all gone well, they didn't have seatbelts back then, so they, <laughs> they, they, they didn't live as long. <laughs> but there, it wasn't from yeah. their diet, right? It was from, from other things. Um, there are some things that are safer. Food safety is, you know, there's, <coughs> I think that's at least a plus. We're not, we're not dying from food that is poisonous, except for the type and the way it's processed. The, the, the food safety issue is, you know, something that we've improved immensely um, over the decades. Um, we don't have the bacterial, bacteria-ridden foods, but we have chemical uh, we have we have so many chemicals in the food, and there is an allowable amount, which is uh, an insult. You know, how much of this poison should we allow in the food? And, and I worry about that. I, I go and buy some vegetables, and I'm thinking, am I doing? Is there a, a a net gain here that I'm eating these Brussels sprouts, or am I eating really a green small piece of cabbage with all kinds of pesticides riddled throughout this thing? And maybe I should, maybe I'm better off not eating it. Well, you're better off getting organic Brussels sprouts right. and uh, as much as you can buy organic food because there are standards. They mm -hmm. are fairly strict. They're as strict as anything else in the food supply. Um, and it's a little more expensive, but you can um, buy organic food. Um, and today there are many um, uh, local or organic farmers that may not be certified organic, but if you get to know them, you could find out what they're using. If anything, um, I grow most of my own f fruits and vegetables. And that's another way of doing it. Most people have enough land, even a tiny little patch in the backyard, to grow an immense amount of food. My tomato crop has fed a lot of birds. <laughs> <laughs> it's my cherry tree. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I'd have to like plant 68 tomato plants so I could have one for me and 67 for the birds. Well, we have, we have five to 6,000 square feet of garden, and about three-quarters of it is covered wow. with... Um, uh, I want to say chicken wire, but it's really stucco wire. Stucco mm -hmm, wire yeah. is half the price, and it's a lot easier to work with, and you can get you can get really wide rolls. But it's it keeps the birds away. Hmm. In Arizona, if you don't do that, you you lose it all, and probably here too. Yeah. Um, so there's two questions that um, I have. Um, one of them is that we didn't we didn't touch on when we talked about carbohydrates, but that is sugar substitutes. So they're not a refined sugar. They're not a carbohydrate. Are they bad or are they not? Well, they're highly refined, and okay. they're extremely bad. They're bad because, um, number one, they maintain your sweet tooth. Yep. So your brain... Doesn't um, know the difference, right? Kind of doesn't know the difference. Okay. But not only that, when your brain gets that sugar taste in the mouth, that affects the metabolism and we go back to this fat burning sugar burning thing mm. and what does it do to that balance of fat and sugar burning you can diminish your fat burning and raise your sugar burning in 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 ingesting uh, artificial sweeteners too including stevia okay. people think it's all natural and all, it's it's first of all it's highly refined there may not be chemicals in it but it's it's uh, something to avoid and it maintains your sweet tooth so when you maintain your sweet tooth you're you're walking around. You're 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 not. You know you didn't have your lunch yet, and you're looking for something to eat. You're going to tend to grab something that's unhealthy mm -hmm. when you have a sweet tooth. And when you have a sweet tooth, you you sense when you taste um, vegetables, which tend to be bitter. You sense them as more bitter, 
and so you tend to like them less, and that's important with kids. That's why I don't like Brussels sprouts. Oh, well, you haven't had my Brussels sprouts, Scott. <laughs> I, I, I bake them. Oh. Now, now uh, before you get to your second question, yeah. um, so what I heard you just say is that as soon as you put it in your mouth, your body then is put on alert whether we're going to be burning fat or sugar, and even if there's zero calories in it, you're still changing your body's exactly. metabolism yeah, we in have the a, engine. Yeah, we have a cephalic phase of digestion, uh-huh. which means we put something in our mouth, we taste it. That taste, as soon as you taste something, it's only because the nerve endings in the mouth have sent a message to the brain telling the brain what, what's there. And mm-hmm. that sense comes to the, the, the conscious state, and you say, oh, sweet. And so, yeah, that's a that's a serious problem. And then it alerts the rest of the body down below what needs to happen. Everything what process. responds. Yes, right. Exactly. So the gears are, for lack of better terms, the gears are set into motion mm-hmm. down in the digestive system based on what the mouth just tasted, regardless of what's truly there. Yep. It's based on taste. Exactly. Huh. So that's like radar. Radar back in the days when they were watching planes come across the border, Scott. That's your. That is Where your did radar. Where that come from? We'll, we'll dissect that later. <laughs> there, there was a recent study where they had cyclists um, tasting um, a sports drink and spitting it out. Mm. And they found the, and then they had controls and all that, and they found the ones that were spitting it out and only tasting it and not ingesting it were responding to the carbohydrates. Wow. So, you know, we've known that for, I've, I'd learned that as a student. Mm-hmm. Pavlov was one of the guys who, the guy who had the, the, the dogs and the, yeah. and the bell and the salivate. Pavlov uh, was a, a physiologist who studied digestion, and he he um, talked a lot about the cephalic phase of digestion, and that was, um, boy, 1910, I don't know, early wow. early 1900s. Hmm. So I know the, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say on this next question, but I want some validity. What about multivitamins? Boy, it's a it's a big topic. Um, I'll 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 give you a couple of things. One is most of them are, are synthetic. Almost all, ninety nine point nine percent of the multivitamins on the market are made from synthetic vitamins. Um, number two, they can be just as easily be harmful as as healthy. Many of them, uh, vitamin C, for example, synthetic vitamin C can become. You know, they talk about vitamin C as a, a antioxidant. But vitamin C in high doses, and high doses could be over 300 milligrams, 500 milligrams, can become a um, uh, pro-oxidant, which means it does the opposite of an antioxidant. And pro-oxidant activity is where we run into the cancer problems. And so, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, if you're not sure what you need, you shouldn't take anything. Hmm. That's That's a good way to to view it. But this, the, the synthetic vitamins um, are, are prevalent because they're cheap, they're easy to work with, they have a long shelf life. Um, my general feeling about it is that you should get your vitamins from your food. And if you're getting organic food or growing a lot of your own food, you're getting a lot of vitamins. Yeah, the soil maybe isn't as good as it used to be, but it's still pretty good and we're, we're capable of getting a lot of these nutrients from our diet. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit before we close up, unless you have something else there, Scott. I want to, you know, I, I want to ask you yeah. one question here. Yeah. Um, there is a chapter, uh, chapter 12, that's called called The Healthiest Diet, Follow Your Own Nutritional Intuition. I like that. Yeah, is that after I, you've become healthy? Because right well, now my nutritional uh, intuition is Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> you have 11 chapters to understand okay. the goods and bads of, of different dietary components. And it really comes down to, I don't have a diet. People often, you know, there are different, different segments of the, the population who know me. And, and uh, there's one segment that knows me as the diet doctor. And I really, I'm offended by that because I don't have a diet. I don't give diets. I've never given anybody a diet. Um, and what I do, though, is I encourage people to create their own diet. What works for them? Mm-hmm. And another thing they often do is they say, well, what do you eat? I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do the same. No, don't follow what I, what I eat is what makes me feel the best. And it's a little different than it was last year. It's a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Next year, it's going to probably be a little different. You've got to be able to read your body like we were talking about before. Um, little signs and symptoms, little, little clues that, you know, this was too much protein or I need more protein or I need more fat um, and make those modifications because every, every animal on earth knows how to eat except mm. humans. <laughs> That's interesting. 
Yeah, the, there's a reason they put you put it at uh, chapter 12. You teach us how to how to recognize and what we should eat for the first uh, right. first 11. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you had said, don't follow what I'm eating. Learn how to be intuitive. It would be analogous to, well, I want to run like you, so I'm just going to go run my race and stick right with you. And that is a recipe for disaster yeah. because you can't chart. There are different times in the race that you need to lay back or move forward or you just mm-hmm. can't shadow somebody yeah and the, in in the running community that that concept uh you know run your fastest k in in six weeks um has been the mantra of runners world magazine and i don't mind trashing them <laughs> because um they, they it's okay they don't they, listen to our podcast they don't um, <laughs> um uh, you know that they, they do a disservice because it's not a magazine written by runners it's a magazine written by advertisers Mm-hmm. And it's likewise for all the others. I don't want to single them out, but um, people don't understand that magazines are run by advertisers and they dictate directly, dictate editorial. So if, you, if you're going to write an article about um, how bad carbohydrates are, you're not going to get it published in a, in, a, in a typical magazine. If you write an article about shoes being uh, bad, never going to get that published in a in a in a running magazines because 80 percent of their revenue comes from running shoe companies yeah. so be careful what you read now i wanted to, to mention what how how and why we're lucky enough to have phil live absolutely as as he's out here in sacramento and making a, an appearance tell us a little bit about the other side of phil maffetone that many of us may not know so, musician, that tell dark us. Side, <laughs> not the dark side. But Dr. Maffetone, give us the other side. And tell us what you're doing tonight. Um, uh, about 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago this month, although I'm, I'm, it's now so long that I, I can't use um, uh, being new at it as an excuse, but 10 mm-hmm. years ago I woke up and decided to be a songwriter. I didn't know anything about songwriting. I didn't <laughs> know much about music other than that I was a consumer growing up in the 60s and music was, you know, my life. Yeah. And I always had music in my head, and that was why, I, as I later learned in school, why I was a bad student. I'd be sitting there listening to the teacher or trying to, and, and I'd have all this music going on in my head, and I soon realized that it was original music. Okay, stop just for a minute. You said you were a bad student. Terrible student. But you became a doctor. Went to summer school every year through <laughs> high school. I dropped out of high school as a junior Okay. and, and vowed not to go back. Um, that's a whole nother story. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but that's uh, okay. <laughs> Einstein um, didn't know his phone number, Scott. I, so, well, what I'm saying is, is even though he didn't do well in school, he, I don't know. When you find your passion, continued to learn. When you find your passion, then you can excel. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Finding finding my passion, and back then, and I had gone to school because I was running track, and I wanted to, you know, do well, and I did that, and I did well really soon, and I the next day I came back and quit, and. Got a job at the phone company and, you know, (laughs) but then a few years later, I discovered my passion was to go back to school, become a doctor and help people. Um, Well, 35, 40 years later, I wake up, oh, I want to be a songwriter now. So waking up and deciding to be a songwriter and drop all that other stuff was no big deal because I already went through that. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And And it was a few years later that um, Corley and I were, were evaluating, uh, and, I, and I really kind of got out of the doctoring world. I didn't coach, I didn't treat people, I got rid of my, my consulting practice, my, I didn't lecture, I didn't write. Um, but I would help Corley sometimes, and we were, we were looking at brain waves in a patient, and I was talking to the patient, and she was setting him up, and, and I was telling him about this song I just, I just uh, recorded. And I said, oh, let me play it for you because she's not ready. And I was playing him this song. Mm-hmm. And so she turns on the machine. It's like your recording equipment. And, you know, we see these brain waves that became these huge alpha waves that were just massive. And I realized that I didn't, I didn't quit my career to become a musician. I was just adding to it. Not that I didn't know about music therapy. I learned about that in, in, in Chinese medicine uh, in the 70s. Um, but I saw it with my own eyes. I saw how the brain was responding to music and um, it was just fascinating. So we, we started doing more of uh, the, the combination of music and health stuff together. And um, two years ago, we, uh, we went on our third uh, music tour. Well, I, be- I became a songwriter and started writing music and then started performing. 
But two years ago, I came up with this idea that we'd have a music and wellness tour. Hmm. We did that for three months last year in the U.S., and uh, this year we're doing again. We'll be on the road six months uh, in the U.S., and we lecture about health and fitness and music, and we sort of combine combine it all. And um, music is much like uh, the information in that book from a nutritional standpoint, from a dietary standpoint, proper training. You know, so there's nutrition, diet, training, music. Music is a huge um, uh, potential therapy. It's a great way to reduce stress. We talked about cutting your finger mm -hmm. and having your body heal it up. Well, what music does is it, it reduces stress hormones. So it actually can uh, make your body more immune to the stresses of life. So I've got a, a, an obvious question. We have bad carbohydrates and good carbohydrates. What about good music and bad music? Can it be detrimental? Boy, now you, you've got another. You got Marilyn, another. Man, Marilyn Manson probably increases <laughs> stress, right? I don't know, but what's good for one person might be, you know, bad for another. I don't yeah. know. There's a the the industry has 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 changed a lot lately. Um, I'll give you a little uh, nibble of of uh, article I'm writing. Um, scientists have found that uh, songbirds who become extinct send up a red flag, obviously before they become extinct, mm -hmm. and the red flag is that their songs change. Frequency changes. There are hmm. um, there are melodic differences, and um, and then in 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 uh, in two thousand and five, there there have been a few articles that have looked at human music, and in the post uh, millennium in the two thousand uh, arena, the music, the changes in music from really from the eighties and nineties, um, but when they start looking at the music in two thousand now. They're seeing the same changes that these other scientists, who, of course, they never communicate with each other. Um, they're seeing the same changes in human music as in the songbirds. So I'm writing an article called When the Music's Over. Uh, look for that article to come out in the next 10 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not an anthropologist, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost writing like an anthropologist, and it's a little unnerving and I'm, I'm uncomfortable because it's not my area of expertise. But it's very interesting. So yes, the music has changed and there is bad music. AM radio is bad. The music on the radio, the new music, there's just a lot of junk out there. Mm. Interesting. Well, we hope you have fun tonight. We hope that uh, we're, it's a good turnout. And we're looking have to have a great, a great time. It's it, a great weather outside. If we wanted to sample some of your music, your website, how do we get to it and uh, d dive into it? And download it. PhilMaffetone.com is uh, the website. I have all my music there. You can go to any of the um, music websites, iTunes, Napster, mm. Spotify. Um, uh, they all have all of my albums, and uh, you can get it all there. And the stores, uh, if they don't have any of the albums for people who buy CDs these days, um, mm -hmm. uh, they're in the stores as well. Okay. Awesome. We'll, we'll link that yep. website so they have quick access. And it makes running easier. You put the right music in, soothing music, the right stuff that kind of brings you back to, uh, it, it refocuses yeah. me and allows me to get through some of the tougher times. And music's an important part of what I do out there. Yeah, as long as, not, um, as long as you're not um, uh, using the music to rev you up. Because there are studies that show that if you're listening to music when you work out, your heart rate could be 10 to 15 beats higher. Hmm. And for most people, that means you're overtraining. So, so... Be, so so be, listen to Sade while we're running? Well, <laughs> listen to anything you want, but watch your heart rate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate the guidance in, in all these different areas, and I recommend the big book of health and fitness, the big book of racing and endurance. Endurance, training, and racing. Well, I'm glad I've, he knows I've that. got the book, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're great. Uh, I've downloaded it for the iPad. That's how I access it, and uh, it's uh, very, very good, and it's been good for me. So. I'm convinced I'm going to go uh, pick one of these up. With a Danish? Bagel. <laughs> <laughs> Trail Runner Nation members, uh, go to trailrunnernation.com. I'm That's glad you remembered that. We have a group with the, within the website and different groups that form, and there's a group called the Maffetonians. Uh -huh. they, they have formed yeah. themselves oh, yeah. and dedicated themselves to your principles. And so I'm, sh I'm sure they will download download twice. <laughs> Since this is this is a Phil Maffetone live download podcast. for your friends. Yeah, there one for you, one for your friend as a gift. There you go. For those that have everything, go to at We Are Nation, Twitter, and Facebook. Sure, 
Joy, go there too. Go look at a Facebook. We've got some uh, Cocapellis coming up. Scott. You know, by the time this podcast hits the airwaves, we will have drum roll. That was good. It's it's you good can music. Tell you play the guitar, not yes. the drums. <laughs> um, we'll have pink Cocapellis. Hot pink Cocapelli. And yep. so we're doing a study. We're uh, we're putting a hot pink Cocapelli on one runner and a black set on another runner, and we're just going to see uh, who performs better. Right. So we're thinking uh, maybe Mike Morton in black, and I'll, I'll wear the pink. We'll see what Is that going to be at night or during the day? <laughs> <laughs> we should get glow in the dark PEKs. That's next. That's next. Okay. Go out and run. Moss. Game that started long ago